This is Everyday Wellness, a podcast dedicated to helping you achieve your health and wellness goals and provide practical strategies that you can use in your real life. And now, here is your host, nurse practitioner Cynthia Thurlow. Today, I am joined by Dr. Karen Dunstan. She joined me on episode 119, Master Midlife and Stop the Menopause Madness. I asked her to come back today to talk more about testosterone in women. She is a leading OBGYN and functional medicine expert. She's been featured on numerous podcasts, including my own, and summits on NBC, Fox, Great Day Washington, and Reader's Digest, Huffington Post, Best Self, and more. She's the host of Her Brilliant Health Revolution podcast and Her Brilliant Health Secrets YouTube channel, which gives women the knowledge tools and support they need to take control of their health and not only heal, but to thrive in life. Today, we talked about the role of testosterone in women, why there is so much ambiguity and why it's a controlled substance, where testosterone is produced in the body, how we test for it, what are the signs of low testosterone and how to treat it. She also provides recommendations on how to advocate for your health, including information on women who've had hysterectomies, including removal of their ovaries, which is a nephrectomy. I can't wait for you to tune into this episode. I think this will really be incredibly beneficial. And she talks all about hormonal illiteracy by traditional allopathic trained providers and how advocating for your health is the most important thing you can do to navigate midlife. Well, I'm super excited to connect with you today because... I think there is a lot for women to learn and unpack about the role of testosterone. And I was talking to one of our colleagues, another GYN, Dr. Sean Tassone, and he feels that low testosterone for women is really an epidemic and has been so greatly kind of misunderstood and not properly addressed. Oh, yeah, it's a huge problem. And, you know, I've been really passionate about it. And so JJ's like, well, that's what you're going to write a book about. I'm like, really? No, I think it needs to be talked about by a healthcare professional because, you know, as I was kind of prepping for the podcast today and was really kind of diving deep into testosterone and learning even more than I knew, I started to realize that we're not talking enough about this. And I think a lot of women as they're navigating perimenopause and menopause, trying to decide whether or not they're going to use bioidenticals or HRT or not, you know, do menopause a la natural, as someone said to me recently, I think we have to start talking about the role of testosterone. And so I'd love for us to kind of start the conversation and discuss the roles of testosterone, because I think there's a lot of misconceptions. I think women suspect that if they are using testosterone in a supplemental way, that somehow they're going to start looking like a bodybuilder and our bodies really aren't designed unless we're using hyper doses of anabolic steroids. And that's not what we're recommending, but testosterone is so intricately related to nearly every system in the body and far more than we actually give it credit for. I think it's the woefully misunderstood, you know, sex hormone. Oh, absolutely. So yeah, happy to dive into it. Absolutely. I'd love for you because I, I think that there are a lot of people that don't fully understand or appreciate how critically important it is. And I know we were talking at the event we were at a few weeks ago, and I had said, I've never felt better being on testosterone. And I've started, you know, very openly talking about it because I feel like 
first of all, talking about sex hormones and HRT or bioidentical seems to be very taboo. There's a lot of misconceptions. And so let's unpack what testosterone does in the body so that we can really dive into you know, some of the nuances, why we suspect it is not being properly addressed, you know, why there's no FDA approved drugs right now for women, which is really a crime, in my opinion, and I sure you would agree as well. Yeah, absolutely. I think that testosterone is very underserved among women and men get a lot of attention when it comes to testosterone. But what most people don't realize is that we're not fully feminine without all our full complement of sex hormones. And that means not only estrogen and progesterone, but testosterone. And don't get me started on the lack of progesterone, which systematized neglect in women's healthcare, where we say, if you don't have a uterus, then you don't need progesterone, which nothing could be further from the truth. And it's really what I call a form of medical gaslighting. The medical gaslighting that goes on with women is rampant, where we first off say that, no, all those symptoms you have are not due to hormonal imbalance. They're not due to menopause. That's the first form of gaslighting. It's all in your head. You just need a hysterectomy, hyster meaning hysterical. And a hundred years ago, we used to have hysterectomies because we were told that that's what made us hysterical was our uterus. So just take it out and you get rid of the hysteria in the woman. So, you know, we haven't come that far from those dark ages. And, you know, it was in the 19, early 1900s when they started giving horse estrogen equivalent to women and saying, well, this stops the hysteria in women. And they said, it's the elixir of life. Why they didn't give naturally occurring estradiol or estriol is because they couldn't get a patent on it, but we can take a horse estrogen and we can get a patent on it. So let's give that to women. And then they said, oh my gosh, it's causing uterine cancer. What are we going to do about that? So they couldn't just give naturally occurring progesterone to counteract the effects of the equiline in the uterus that was causing the cancer. They said, well, let's go in the lab and make another drug that we can sell. Then we don't only have one drug that's patented. We can have a second drug that's patented. And they made bedroxyprogesterone acetate by chemically altering progesterone. And what most doctors and a lot of scientists and even in the research literature that we have about women's health and hormones in our contemporary literature shows is that we clinicians are very confused about actually what are naturally occurring hormones and what are synthetic hormones. And we are hormonally illiterate. Well, it's no wonder that the general public is confused as well, because you have doctors writing papers and doing research who think that progesterone is the same as medroxyprogesterone acetate, which is a progestin, which is not progesterone. And they use the two interchangeably. And then they draw conclusions like in the Women's Health Initiative study. And they say, oh my gosh, it causes breast cancer. No, progesterone does not cause breast cancer. If that were the case, then women with the naturally highest levels of progesterone, women in their 20s have higher sex hormone levels of anybody else. They would be rampant with breast cancer. Is that the case? No, that's not the case. So I always tell women that 
I'm not the kind of doctor who's going to tell you what to do because I'm the expert. Do what I say. I know better. Those days are gone. The days now are of you need to have a working knowledge of how your body functions. What are my basic seven metabolic hormones? How do they work? What do I need to know? And what do I need to know about what's commercially available so that I can make an intelligent decision? You cannot abdicate control of your hormonal health to your healthcare provider any longer because they are ignorant, not on purpose, they're well-meaning people, but because they've been brought up and brainwashed in a culture that at its foundation is ignorant and was created by a commercial company to make a profit. So they have a vested interest in you being confused because when you're confused, guess what? You make poor choices for yourself. Your doctor advises you incorrectly and you're pretty miserable. So what does that mean? You need lots of pharmaceuticals to try to make yourself better and put band-aids, pill for every ill so that you're limping along in life and they can keep you on these medications for years or decades. So you never really achieve what's possible. And you're always looking for answers to purchase from the medical establishment to try to make yourself better. And I know I get on a rant, but I'm really angry about it. Well, I love that you're sharing what you're most passionate about. And clearly this needs to become the part of a book because there are so many women that are lost and confused. I know this, I spoke at an event this past weekend and the discussion, you know, I I did five strategies for, you know, your success with intermittent fasting, four were focused on both genders. One was focused on women. And of course it comes up as it always does. There's always a question about hormone replacement therapy and so much confusion when to start it, how to do it, synthetics versus non-synthetics, what's best, how do I navigate lifestyle medicine? And I told them, I said, if it makes you feel any better, even as a woman in middle age, I was confused even as a clinician. And I'm sure it's really magnified by a lot of misinformation. I'm sure it's from well-meaning individuals on social media, but I feel like there are a lot of experts that really don't know any better. They don't know what they don't know. And so that's why I always encourage people to connect with a licensed healthcare professional, someone who's knowledgeable in that area that doesn't just hang a sign that says, I do women's hormones, because that doesn't necessarily speak to the fact that they really understand the physiology of the body. Do they really understand the things they need to be looking out for? Now, I know that you touched on you know, some of the issues surrounding misinformation, synthetic hormones, advocacy. Why do you think there's so much ambiguity about testosterone in particular? Because it's unlike estradiol or synthetic estrogens or progesterone or synthetic progesterone. Why is there so much misinformation? Why is there so much concern about prescribing testosterone for women, irrespective of their life stage? I can see you smiling. So I know this is really resonating because I feel like this is an area that's so taboo. Like I was talking to a woman who was in her thirties and she was taking supplemental testosterone and was saying like, she felt like it was life-changing. And I said, I don't just think hormonal replacement is necessarily just for women of a certain age that there may be times throughout our lifetime that we may require some additional support after we've done all the foundational approaches that I know both of us talk to patients about on a daily basis. 
Right. So it's a given that we need estrogen and progesterone as women to function in terms of our fertility and to have all the benefits that these hormones give us. I mean, they nourish our brain and our nervous system and our gut and they help our immune system and our skin. So they work all over the body and we need those. And that's a given. And most women are not aware that we have testosterone. Sure, men have 10 times the testosterone. We have 10 times the estrogen. It's what makes men, men, and it's what makes women, women in utero. When the gonads stimulate the tissues, this is what develops our sex characteristics, whether we have male genitalia or female genitalia, but it goes on throughout the life cycle. You know, nature has a great economy. It doesn't just make one, use one substance to do one thing. For magnesium, it has, you know, over 450 actions in the body. Well, it's the same with the hormones. Most hormones don't just have one action. So testosterone is not only to make a man a man. It has benefits in all of these areas that we just mentioned for estrogen and testosterone. Your brain has receptors for testosterone. It helps to balance your neurotransmitters, particularly dopamine, which is your drive initiative neurotransmitter. It helps with your cognitive functioning. You know, we've known for a long time that men generally have a larger area in their brain for spatial awareness and mathematics and science. Well, that's partly because of testosterone. Maybe if we had adequate levels of testosterone, we would have those capabilities to do. This hormone is important for our skin. It's important for our eyes, for our bones, for our muscle mass. We women start losing muscle mass at the age of 30. And this is one of the biggest reasons why we gain weight starting at the age of 30 at about a rate of 3% per year. And if we don't maintain that muscle mass, then it's replaced by fat. And this is why 60% of us, by the time we're 50 at menopause, are obese or overweight, which is an epidemic. And I talked to a woman yesterday who said, and my doctor told me, I just eat too much and I don't uh. move enough. And I get so livid with that lie, that fallacy that we are fed. Well, maybe if your testosterone was at an adequate level, then you would have an adequate muscle mass and you wouldn't be replacing that lost muscle mass with fat. So testosterone has implications all over the body, but somehow, you know, our society, we're strange when it comes to talking about sex and sexuality. And the idea that a man's hormone could be necessary for a woman, and most people think about it as a man's sex hormone, and that that sex hormone could be important for a woman is really taboo to even think about or talk about for a lot of people which has a lot of cultural implications. So I think that it's just gotten pushed off the table very readily by most men and medicine still is a male dominated system. But also the women like me who were trained in this system were brought up in a culture that was the same. There's only one commercially available preparation for testosterone. It's an oral preparation that comes in combination with equilin, the horse estrogen. And I actually don't recommend this for anybody because when you take estrogen or testosterone, 
orally, you get what's known as a first pass effect in the liver, which can be damaging to the liver. And you really want to take testosterone parenterally, meaning outside the mouth, right? So a topical cream or a pellet, there are injections available. Although if we get into it, I'm not a fan of the injections. So I think that we have taboos around talking about sex. We have equated testosterone with sex, and therefore we can't talk about it for women. And I think that this just reflects a lot of our cultural hangups. It makes a lot of sense, although I think the more I learn about the net impact of testosterone, the more I recognize how critically important it is for women throughout our lifetime. So if you're listening to this and you're taking perhaps estradiol as a patch and you're taking oral progesterone, bravo, if you're still feeling like you're you're not 100%. And for full transparency, one of the reasons why I started getting very interested in testosterone replacement for myself was that I'm already osteopenic, even though I'm doing all the things. I eat plenty of protein. I strength train. I walk every single day. There's some genetic susceptibility. I acknowledge that both my grandmothers were osteopenic and osteoporotic. So I knew that this was going to be something I would be dealing with as I was losing testosterone. I just didn't expect it to be so early. The other piece is, you know, we know that sarcopenia, which is this muscle wasting is a normal function of aging. If, unless you are doing something proactively about it, and that means adequate protein, strength training, adequate sleep, et cetera. And for myself over the last two years, I have lost so much muscle mass. I kept saying like I was putting all these pieces of the puzzle together. And then I read a book called The XX Brain and it's a Cornell-based researcher, Dr. Lisa Moscone. And it was almost as if everything came together for me at the same time. It was like, okay, there's far more to testosterone than I realized. I knew there was a lot of estradiol signaling, progesterone signaling in the brain. And that was of concern, you know, making sure that I want to be cognitively intact till the day I die. And, you know, you start to just unpack the fact that our bodies going all unnatural for the rest of our lives in many ways can make living a whole lot more challenging. And I speak, you know, with great reverence and respect because I have some girlfriends who have breast cancer, estrogen, you know, sensitive breast cancer. And so they're in a position where they're not able to take some of these hormone replacement therapies. And that's a separate issue. But for the rest of us, really thinking proactively. And that's why it was so important for me to bring you on because we were having this separate sidebar conversation on social media. And I was like, women need to learn more about testosterone. So we talked a little bit about it, what its impact is. Everyone kinds of makes this association with libido. There's far more to it. In fact, when I was reading last night and I started listing where the receptors are, they're nearly everywhere. Breast, heart, blood vessels, brain, spinal cord, bladder, skin, bone, bone marrow, and muscles. And that's just to name a couple of things. So if you're hearing me and you're thinking, well, I don't think it really has that much impact. It impacts everything in our bodies. So let's kind of designate what are some of the more common signs? I obviously identified my own, but when you're working with your female patients, what are some of the things if they're able, if they're trying to differentiate, is this an estrogen issue? Is this a progesterone issue? So what is specific other than libido that you commonly will see when someone is starting to struggle with lowered testosterone levels? 
All right, that's a great question. How do I differentiate which hormones I'm deficient in? And one of the problems is that nature has great economy. It doesn't just make one hormone do one thing. And so it's not so clear cut that estradiol is blue and progesterone is red <laughs> and testosterone is green, right? It would be great if it was like the stoplight at the corner and you could go, oh, it's my testosterone. Oh, it's my estrogen. And I do want to just add, and I'm going to go through what are some of the symptoms that you might notice is that it's sometimes an afterthought. You are doing your hormones and you're taking your estradiol, your estriol, and your progesterone, and you're just missing something. And so what are some of the things that you could miss? Well, just like in a man, testosterone, when you think of a man, you think strong, right? Lots of muscles, muscle definition. That's the same for women. So lack of muscle mass. If you have a bone dense, I'm sorry, a body composition done, you might notice that your muscle mass is lower or maybe your clothes are fitting looser or you're not having the muscle definition that you had when you were in your 20s. And yes, you should have great muscle definition at every age. So, you know, this consensus that they did in 2019, they got all these scientists together and looked at all of the literature on testosterone in women. And they said, you know, is there clinical evidence that replacement of testosterone is beneficial for women? And they basically wanted to know, is it important for libido? That's all they really cared about, <laughs> because as far as they're concerned, that's what's important for testosterone. They did look at some other like for bone health and heart health and muscle and things like this. And basically, they came to the conclusion that the decrease in testosterone with age is normal with age. And therefore, because it's normal, there's basically no reason to give it unless it's for libido in small amounts for a short period of time. But sometimes some of these effects that you notice from testosterone definitely are with the musculoskeletal system. So you mentioned osteopenia, there's osteoporosis. I too have a family history of that. In fact, my mom has the worst osteoporosis I've seen on any human ever. I think she's like at a T-score of minus five and basically has dust for bones. And so this is a concern of mine too. And I had a personal story where I was replacing my hormones and I thought I was doing great, but I didn't feel 100%. And then I checked my levels the right way using a Dutch test and found that I was very testosterone deficient. And so I started using testosterone pellets and bam, it was like the lights went on. And I always knew that it was important, but this really highlighted how important it is for women to live optimally. And that's what I'm all about is having optimal health so that you can live an optimal life. So there's the musculoskeletal effects. You can have bone loss, you can have muscle mass loss, and then this can be replaced by fat. So weight gain. So those are probably the three hallmarks that I would tell anyone to look for. But then there are effects around your brain, your mood, and your cognitive functioning and your memory. In fact, testosterone replacement is a key 
factor in Dr. Dale Bredesen's Recode Protocol for the prevention and reversal of Alzheimer's. Why is that? Because testosterone is a vital ingredient to nourish the receptors in your brain. Keep your levels of dopamine high, your neurotransmitters balanced, your serotonin, but it also helps to consolidate memories. And it helps with that drive and initiative in life. When you think of males with a lot of testosterone, you know, you think they have initiative, they get up and go. In fact, that's one of the things they tell men when you're kind of lost your oomph in life, it might be your testosterone. Well, the same is true for women. Men don't have different brains than women have, right? We have the same neurotransmitters and the same tissues. So if you're feeling depressed, if you're having anxiety, sluggishness, fatigue, ennui. I don't know what I want to do. I just don't care. I just want to make it to retirement. When I hear a woman say this, I know her testosterone's low. (laughs) I just want to make it to retirement so I can retire and sit on the beach. No, no, no. Your testosterone is low. So all of the mood disorders, if you're having any of them, which are rampant in women, at all age ranges, but particularly associated with menopause. It can be associated with sleep disturbance, which a large majority of women have. So if your sleep disturbance remains a problem for you and you've gotten your estrogen and your progesterone dialed in, well, maybe look at your testosterone. And yes, there is that sexual component, which we talk about sexuality in women, or rather we don't talk about it, but we talk about it as if it's a throwaway thing that's not important. But your level of sexual satisfaction in life actually is directly correlated to your health in life. And your overall level of other diseases, right? So the better your sex life, the lower your number of prescription medications, the lower your number of disease diagnoses, the better your satisfaction in life. And I'm talking about, yes, libido and desire, but I'm also talking about ability to achieve orgasm, intensity of orgasm. Why are these things important for men, but they're not important for women? That's a whole sociological study. Why we just want to deny that women have sexuality, but you know, the clitoris is way more sensitive than the penis and women are known to have a naturally higher sex drive than men at the midlife when their testosterone is at an optimal level. So yes, it's about sexuality. And yes, sex is important. How many marriages have ended because a woman didn't have adequate testosterone and she didn't never care. I wish I had a dollar for every time a woman said to me, I don't care if I ever have sex again. We really want a world of women who don't care if they ever have sex again. No, we don't. We want women who are on fire with their libido for life and for their sexuality. But we didn't even get into, I mean, anemia, hair loss, heart disease, metabolic syndrome. There are so many effects of testosterone. No, that's beautifully stated. And I think that on so many levels, I myself, you know, and I'm not a GYN, but I certainly over the last five or six years have had the privilege of being able to connect with women and for them to share their private thoughts. And I would say 98% of them tell me they have no libido. 
They have no interest in sex. They have mercy sex, which is I'm using their terminology. (laughs) And it's really sad because most, if not all of them want to feel connected to their spouse or their partner. They just have completely no interest in sex. I believe most of it's hormonally mediated. You know, when I share in a very generalized fashion with my husband, some of the comments that I will hear never, you know, disclosing any information about the patient you know, he always says, I think men from the day they're born till the day they die, it's always like they're ready. They're ready to go. They're happy to do it. He said, it is so sad that there are many women who either stop having orgasms or sex is painful, or they're too embarrassed to talk to their healthcare professional about this. And, you know, I think as a middle-aged woman myself, that sex is still very much an important part of my relationship with my spouse. And so I think it's really sad that we're losing opportunities. Hopefully these kinds of podcasts, when women can hear that this is normal in the context of, you know, hormonal imbalances and that there are ways to get around this. In fact, I'll just mention with testosterone therapy, you know, the strength of my orgasms is what it was, gosh, probably in my twenties. And so to me, that's been like an added benefit. Yes, I can, you know, I'm able to build muscle again, Yes, I'm helping my bones and my brain, but heck, I mean, that's a good thing. You know, that's certainly a good thing. And if we had more oxytocin flowing in our bodies, we would be much happier individuals. And if we think of oxytocin as like the mother hormone of all hormones, we want to be doing things that, you know, help facilitate this, whether it's having special time with our significant other, hugging our kids, hugging our pets. In fact, my dogs probably get a lot of hugs. They love it because they're, you know, you're mentioning you have a dog. I have two doodles. And so they play a large part in my social media and sometimes in my podcast, but thankfully today they're a little bit quiet. So we've kind of talked about things that we need to look out for. I do want to touch on, and I know this question comes up so often, women who go through hysterectomy, especially those that have had oophorectomies or when they've had their ovaries removed as well, not anticipating what is to come. And there was a statistic I read in Dr. Moscone's book that talked about women that have their ovaries removed in conjunction with their uterus are even greater risk of developing cognitive dysfunction. And so I think sometimes there are discussions that are not had preparing women for these kinds of surgeries and what is to come. But I know that, that, you know, removing the ovaries in and of itself, not as much the uterus, but let's talk a little bit about what the ovaries do, what hormones are produced there, because I think a lot of people just think about progesterone, but there's more to it than that. Yeah. So the ovaries in women are the predominant manufacturer of the three types of estrogen and also progesterone and half of the testosterone. And it's kind of insane that we castrate women and there is no discussion about what these hormones do. And like we've talked about, there's economy in nature. So it's not just that you're losing your ability to make a baby and reproduce, you're losing vital I mean, your hormones are really like the nectar in your body. They're the regulators that keep everything flowing smoothly. So you're losing at least half of your testosterone and the large majority of your progesterone and estrogen. These hormones can be made in other tissues like the adrenal glands and some others at lower levels. 
And so female castration, you know, if we were castrating men at midlife, and this is either the number one or number two surgery that's performed, and the number one might be C-section at any given time or hysterectomy. And we basically are castrating women and we tell them, well, you need your ovaries out because then you don't want to have a problem and need to have surgery for that ovarian problem in the future, prophylactic ovarectomy, which is insane because the rate of needing surgery for an ovarian problem after you've had a surgical hysterectomy is extremely low and doesn't warrant putting a woman through the loss of her sex hormones. I mean, any woman who's ever been pregnant or gone through puberty or menopause can tell you the dramatic effects that these hormones have on how she feels in her own skin. We all know that. If you have a 28-day cycle, you can tell this, right? You're different every single day. You're different in how you think. You're different in how you feel, your emotions. You are different in how your gut functions, how your physiology functions. Any woman can tell you this 28 days in a cycle, you're different. So the fact, the idea that you're going to take out the factory and you're not going to have any problem is insane. And women will tell you that they feel like they got hit by a Mack truck and they don't even know who they are anymore. And that was my personal experience. You know, you just mentioned earlier said that you want to go to a licensed professional, but I'm going to take it a little further and it might be a little controversial. There are lots of licensed professionals who are hormonally illiterate. And so I don't think that qualifies us as knowing what we can do to help you. You need to find someone who's a woman over 50, who's been through this herself, who knows what we're talking about, Because I'm sorry, men, you can be intelligent, but if you've never experienced what we're talking about, you're going to poo-poo it and dismiss it because that is the prevailing culture in medicine. And women, before you've really gone through that holy mother of uh, hormonal decimation, you cannot know what you're talking about. So I think you need to find someone who's experienced it. And that... I'm one of those people. I am not the only one. But once you experience it and you know, I don't care what the scientific literature says, I know I can't put two thoughts together when I don't have my hormones on board. And I need my hormones in order to be a fully functioning, uh, cognitively complete person who feels good in her own skin. So Definitely think twice about the ophorectomy, but even if you don't have it, just the fact of taking out the uterus at hysterectomy reduces the blood flow to the ovaries by 50%. And the rate of menopause in those ovaries is significantly increased within the 12 to 24 months after hysterectomy, even if the ovaries are left in place. And that blood flow disruption does decrease hormone levels. So you're in for a change period, even if you keep your ovaries and you have a hysterectomy, and you're likely going to go through the change sooner rather than later, and it is going to affect everything. So when you then go to your doctor and you say, I just don't feel like myself, and you feel embarrassed to even say that because your doctor's going to go, well, what do you mean? You look like yourself. I've had women have that said to them. 
I just don't feel like myself in my own skin anymore. I don't know how to describe it. And you are basically going to be gas lit. So (laughs) find someone who understands what you're going through. And I think it's kind of insane, Cynthia, I have to bring this up. This is the example I like to give that we even have some of these conversations that we have around these hormones. Nobody questions replacing your calcium if it's low, right? There's no emotional discussion. If you go to your doctor and you say, I just don't feel like myself. I think my calcium's low. Well, what happens? They check your calcium. (laughs) And if it's low, they do something about it. But you go to your doctor and you say, I just don't feel like myself. I think it's because I had a hysterectomy and you know, what's, can we check my hormones? And we're told, oh no, we don't check women's hormones, Mm -hmm. which every woman listening should say, no, that's insane. We check everything in medicine, but we don't check women's hormones. And then if you can cajole your doctor into doing it, they'll sometimes recalcitrantly so okay we'll do it and then they're they don't know how to read it they Mm -hmm. do the wrong test and they read them the wrong way and they tell you you're fine or they don't do any tests at all and they're going to give you you know a patch or a pill or a this or that that's a one size fits all which medicine is not one size fits all we're very different and then you're never going to feel as good as you could feel And, you know, the Dalai Lama is quoted as saying that the Western woman is going to save the world. And I think it's Western menopausal women who have hormones. (laughs) Yes, yes. Because then we can put the neurons and the synapses together to use the wisdom that we've accrued throughout life to solve these big problems that we're facing. Well, I love that you say that because one of the things I've started very openly saying, and you know, my team wants me to get on reels and YouTube talking about this. And I always say, I don't want to get uh, strength training advice from a 32-year-old female who has an eating disorder hidden under the guise of intermittent fasting. I don't want to get recommendations from someone that's not fairly close in age to where I am because they understand the gaslighting is real. I can tell you, even though, even as a healthcare provider, I have handpicked the people that I work with. I had one tell me at the start of perimenopause, when I started feeling badly, when I was complaining about gaining weight, which was not something I'd ever struggled with before. And he said, you know, you know, you are 44 years old. This is just the way things are. And I said, that's BS. I refuse to accept that. And it's a sign that something is off. And so down the rabbit hole you go. I think it's so important for women to feel comfortable supplementing hormones. I know I was reticent to go on thyroid replacement at the start of perimenopause. And yet, as soon as I did, I felt a thousand percent better. There's no shame in taking hormonal replacement therapy. I think that is something that Unfortunately, we've got, and I respect people that don't want to take hormonal replacement therapy, but I wouldn't be the person that I am had I not been taking not only, you know, sex hormones, but also now, you know, thyroid replacement, I would be suffering and I don't think I would be able to sleep well. I probably would have no energy and I very likely would not be where I am, you know, professionally or personally. And so if you're listening to this and you're still in that camp of, you know, I'm going to push through needing thyroid replacement therapy. I don't need to take hormonal replacement therapy. You know, I hope that when you're hearing our discussion, it's at least starting to kind of change your mindset a little bit, or at least entertaining the possibility of options for yourself, because you can change your mind. 
in the future. I do want to touch on, I have several women who were in that five-year window. You know, what I was always taught was that, you know, the first five years of menopause, that's the most optimal time to be adding in hormone replacement therapy. There are women in their 60s who obviously are 10 plus years out into menopause. And they were asking, is there still benefit to taking hormone replacement therapy at that point? Or are they, and I'm using their terminology, a lost cause? Oh gosh, that's so sad. And I do want to comment on that, but I have to comment on something you said a second ago. So this idea of respecting people who choose not to take hormones. Well, I think we are the ultimate arbiters of what's right for us and what's not. But what I find more often than not is that that decision is made from a place of lack of proper information and fear. And that the women who choose that don't understand what they're choosing, right? And just like we talked about with calcium, there's no emotional content to I'm going to replace my calcium or not. If it's low, you replace it. And I find that that's why I educate women like in my mastermind to become hormonally illiterate. So then once you know all there is to know, once you really understand what hormones are, that they are the regulators and how that they speak this language to all your cells and that basically you're opting out of having that language spoken to your cells and you make that choice once you're educated and you are hormonally illiterate, more power to you. But I think it's a rare woman I come across who once she is properly educated, doesn't say, oh my God, I need that. And I need that now, and particularly testosterone. So back to your question about this timeframe. Well, receptors that are not stimulated die in the body. That's just a fact. Your body uses economy again. It upregulates receptors, it downregulates receptors. And when they're needed, you know, this is how addictions occur. There are more receptors that come for a certain substance like alcohol, and then you have to feed those receptors and that's what makes the addiction. And so the same is true for these hormones. When their hormones are plentiful, there are plentiful receptors and they can stimulate and do take action. But with the naturally occurring menopause or surgical menopause, these receptors will decrease in density and they will start going away. And there is this kind of magic five-year mark where they say it may not be beneficial past that point to institute hormone replacement therapy. Now, having said that, when you give hormones, you increase receptors. So for any given woman, I would never be the one to say your uh, quote, what you said that she said, a lost cause, which I don't think any of us are after five years postmenopausal. And I would always give her and her body the benefit of the doubt and let her take them. And you may need some higher doses to start recruiting those receptors. And then you may need, you know, you need a comprehensive approach, as you know, Cynthia, if your cell membranes are crap because you've been eating 
horrible fats your whole life and your cells are all coated in fats. And that actually is considered the brain of the cell is the membrane because it's what allows communication from the outside world into the cell. And if you've been eating crappy fats and all your cells are hard and the membranes can't communicate and they couldn't even get a receptor out there if they wanted, well, then it's kind of a moot point to start throwing hormones in there. So it's a part of a comprehensive anti-aging health restoration program that includes replacing all your cell membranes with healthy fats. So it goes to diet, but it also goes to managing your other hormones like your cortisol. Mm -hmm. You know, most of us have a tanked cortisol by the time we're at menopause. And that's why we have so-called pathologic menopause. But mainstream doctors, licensed professionals don't understand that. So they're not going to do a salivary cortisol profile and remedy your stress response system. They're not going to look at your HRV and look at your parasympathetic and your autonomic nervous system, which really, if those aren't tuned up, then the hormones aren't going to do any good. And in the studies that they did looking at this, they didn't look at any of that. So I do never think that a woman is a lost cause. You know, if you look at Cher, I think she's what, 75 now. If you look at, you know, JLo in her 50s, Shakira in her 40s, you look at Oprah, you look at, you know, all of these so-called stars who are in their 50s, 60s, and 70s and flourishing. That's what's possible for every single woman, right? They just know the right places to go Mm -hmm. and they know to get their bioidenticals, yes, and their (laughs) testosterone. You heard it here. And this is possible for every woman. And I think her birthright. Well, I love that you come from a place of positivity. I know it it really broke my heart. And and I'm sure it's the same way with a lot of your patients that some of the, you know, scarcity mindset that goes on that people feel fixated. Like, so I've been doing this for so many years and I can't do anything differently. I'm like, absolutely. You talk a lot about mitochondrial function when you're talking about cellular function. And that's why I'm such a passionate advocate of intermittent fasting. And just to tie into, you know, the diet and its impact on the mitochondria, the quality of our cells, Dr. Kate Shanahan came on earlier this year and talked a lot about seed oils. And so one of the things I talk about a lot is if you do nothing else, avoid seed oils. So read food labels, ask when you go to restaurants, most of them use canola, soybean, safflower, sunflower, because they're cheap, but we don't want to be ingesting these kinds of poor quality oils because they do have such a negative net impact on your cellular health. Two other areas that I want to touch on before we end our discussion today. So you mentioned the Dutch, what other types of tests do you like to utilize when you are evaluating a female patient? Because there may be women listening who are going to take notes and want to take it to their healthcare provider to say, I know these tests are available. What are the other really key tests that you think are critically important? The Dutch, for anyone that's not familiar, is a dried urine and saliva test. It is one of the most powerful tests I've ever worked with. I'm sure Dr. Dunstan would also agree, but what are the other tests you like to look at when you're doing an evaluation? If we're doing kind of a snapshot evaluation. 
Yeah, the Dutch Plus also includes the salivary cortisol and then all of your estrogens, testosterone, progesterone, that's for sure. And then a comprehensive thyroid profile is so key. And that's eight different parameters of thyroid. That is not your just your TSH and your thyroid profile that mainstream medicine uses, because that will miss a lot of people who are subclinically hypothyroid. You could do the barn test to figure that out, right? You can take your basal body temperature every morning for like a month and see where you fall. And if you're low, your thyroid is your temperature regulator, then you don't even need a lab test to know if you're low thyroid. And then I look at all the seven major metabolic hormones. So that also includes insulin, which gets to the intermittent fasting issue, Cynthia, because for a lot of us, we're on what I call the blood sugar roller coaster. And if you're on the blood sugar roller coaster, even if you get your testosterone right, your estrogen, progesterone, you're not going to have normal or optimal hormone function. And you're still going to struggle with weight and probably sleep and cortisol problems and immune system problems. And for most all of us, that blood sugar roller coaster where that insulin is up and down because we're eating rice, potatoes, we're eating sugars, number one, and we're eating fast carbs. We're on that blood sugar roller coaster. And what we don't realize is, you know, I think when I balance a couple women balance her hormones, I consider it like a, it's a ball of yarn. It's like unknotting a knotted ball of yarn. When I was in college, I had a kitten and I used to knit and that kitten would take that yarn and roll <laughs> it all over the place. And then I'd be left with this massive knotted yarn and I would have to unknot it. So this is a woman's hormones by the time she gets to midlife. Mm -hmm. And what do you have to do to unknot that ball of yarn? You've got to find the loose thread, right? Well, that loose thread in your hormones is insulin function. You have got to balance insulin before you do anything else. And so for most women, you've got to have a fasting insulin, a fasting blood sugar, and a hemoglobin A1C. But when you get those results, you're not going to look at what the lab says is quote unquote, normal or reference range. And you're not going to look at that for your thyroid either, because that's defined by what 95% of the population has. Well, look around. 60% of us are overweight or obese. So basically they're saying, you're pretty good for an obese person. Is that what you want to be? No, you want to be pretty good for a nice, healthy, slender person. So you use different values when you read those. And most doctors are not trained in this. It's not their fault. They love you. They're brilliant. They're good people. They mean well. They're just doing what they were taught, like I did, what I was taught for, you know, like when Oprah says, when you know better, you do better until... I weighed 243 pounds and I was like, what's wrong with me? Means that I was trained in a system that was designed to make me overweight and tired and lose my hair and have no sex drive and be on five prescription medications and depressed and anxious. That is our system. So if that's the kind of health you want, that's what you go for. But when you get those tests, you got to use different values. So, and then the cortisol and DHEA would be on the Dutch. I am definitely a proponent of the dried urine sex hormone test. Blood is not an appropriate way to check these hormones. So 
you know, I tell people don't even bother with the blood. We want to check everything in blood. You know, it's so easy here, draw my blood. But these are steroid hormones. They're made from cholesterol, which is oil. It comes from animal fat and oil and water don't mix and your blood is water. And so this is why you need other ways to properly measure these hormones. That's a fantastic explanation and definitely will give individuals an idea of what they need to be asking for. Now, last but not least, you kind of alluded to it already. When you've identified that someone, a woman's testosterone is lower than what it should be and she's symptomatic and doesn't feel good, you mentioned topical, so creams, you mentioned pellets. And then you also mentioned, you know, administering intramuscularly. So let's walk through each one of those. And I would love to hear what you don't like about injectable forms of testosterone. Sure. And I forgot to mention trochies and sublingual Mm -hmm. drops. There are those as well. So we did mention the oral form, not recommended because you get that hepatic Mm -hmm. first pass effect. So with testosterone, trochies are little kind of wax embedded testosterone that you can stick in the mouth between the gums and it's absorbed through into the bloodstream. Although the studies have shown that with that route of administration and the sublingual drops, probably more of it does get swallowed and become an oral dose. So they're not my favorite, but you can use those as routes of administration. And then there are transdermal creams, which probably transdermal is the purest form that you just put it on your skin. It's absorbed into the bloodstream. Now, I will say that you can get something with transdermal creams that is called tachyphylaxis, where you use these creams over a long period of time. And like we said, these hormones come from cholesterol, they're fat. So when you put them on your skin, like in your inner wrist or inner thigh, they are absorbed into the subcutaneous fat. Even if you're slender, you have some. And then it creates this kind of depot effect where it's released into the bloodstream over time. So you dose it once, but it's being released over 24 hours. And then when you dose it repeatedly, it's continually being released. But your fat has a limit to how much it can absorb. And then the levels in your bloodstream will start going down. And this is actually what happened to me. Mm-hmm. And I kept putting more and more and thinking, what's wrong with me? I don't feel like myself. I don't feel like myself. And then I checked my Dutch and I had no testosterone. And when that happens, you have to switch to a pellet. And so I put testosterone pellets and holy Moses, the lights went on. (laughs) And I think, I don't know if God wanted me to have that experience again of having no testosterone and then having testosterone. And it was like, oh my gosh, the lights went on so that I could really start speaking about this and educating about this more for women because the dramatic difference. So the pellets are implanted in the subcutaneous fat, very easy. It takes just less than 60 seconds to put it in. They last four to six months. And then there are injectables. Now I'm not a fan of injectables. I'm going to tell you why. So with every dosing method, you get a peak and trough. When you take a Tylenol, it's probably going to peak in 
about an hour and a half. And then within four to six hours, it's going to go away. When you dose any type of medication repeatedly, those peaks and troughs get lower and lower and you get more to what we call a steady state level. And the pellets have that too, but it takes several months to get to peak. And then the trough will be many months later after that. But with the injections, it gives a very large bolus or dose and the levels go up very quickly. So one thing you have to understand about these, all of these hormones, estrogen, progesterone, testosterone, is they are steroid hormones. And steroid hormones stimulate your endogenous opiate system. Mm -hmm. So what is that? That's your natural opium high system, right? You've heard of runner's high, that runners get this natural opiates and then they get high from running. Well, you can make anyone into a sex hormone addict if you give them enough sex hormones. Give them a high dose of estrogen and they will be jonesing for their next (laughs) estrogen dose because they make you feel so good, not only because of their inherent intrinsic benefits, but because they stimulate this system. So when you dose the testosterone in a large bolus of an injection and it goes in the body, you stimulate that system and people feel amazing. And within seven days, they'll come and say, oh, my God, I feel so good. This testosterone (laughs) is the best thing ever. But then when they hit their trough several weeks later, they come back oh no, I feel terrible. I need my testosterone. And they get another shot. And what happens is women want more frequent doses, higher doses. They want more, 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 more. So you create this addictive cycle, which is not the reason we're using testosterone, right? And the peaks are not as high and the troughs not as low with the other modes of delivery. And so having done this for many years, I've seen that way too often. So I usually don't recommend the injectables and definitely start with a transdermal cream. I'll go with a trochee, pellets, and each woman's different. You have to get what's right for her. I love that you are sharing your personal experiences as well as professional. I want to be respectful of your time. What is the easiest way for ladies to connect with you? Are you working distantly with your patient population right now? I know with the pandemic, there's a lot more flexibility over state lines. Let people know how they can connect with you on social media and how to find you. Sure. You can find me at Kieran Dunstan, MD, pretty much everywhere. I'm going to spell it because it's a little different. It's K-Y-R-I-N-D-U-N-S-T-O-N-M-D.com is my website. You can sign up there for a masterclass that I'm doing, educating you about how women over 40, enlightened women like J-Lo and the other celebrities we talked about, keep their weight off and their energy up after 40. So there's a free masterclass there. You can find me on Facebook and Instagram at Kieran Dunstan MD. I do group programs, my hormone balance mastermind all over the United States. I actually have a telemedicine company, the hormone club, where we have doctors who can do these tests that we've been discussing with you and prescribe for you in almost every state in the United States while I educate you so you can become hormonally literate. I love it. Well, always a pleasure to connect with you. I'm so glad that you joined me today. And, you know, this has been a topic I've wanted to explore more on the podcast and you are the perfect person to bring on to talk about it. Thank you so much for having me, Cynthia. I really appreciate it. 
Thanks for listening to Everyday Wellness. If you loved this episode, please leave us a rating and review. Subscribe and remember, tell a friend. And if you want to connect with us online, visit the link in the show notes.